What's up, people? Welcome back to Basic Snitches. That's Basic Snitches. Hello. That's Adam. Uh-huh. Hello. That's Tara. Hi. Okay. We gotta get down to business because we got a big fucking chapter for you today. So today we're reading chapter 19. 19. The Servant of the Bitch. Yes. Lord Moldy Voldy. Not a good bitch. A bad bitch. <laughs> um, that's a Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Before we get into it. <laughs> that was the fastest intro we've ever done. We're like, done business, host. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we're about business today. That's business. right. Business. So. This is not a comedy podcast today. This is purely <laughs> serious. Yep, we're going to be real serious. Uh, Get it? <laughs> serious. What happened in the last chapter? <laughs> the last chapter? Listen to the podcast episode so you'll know what happened. So I'm not going to tell you again. But I'm going to tell you about the winner and loser <laughs> of chapter 18. Which was Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, I think. No, it was called Mooney, yes. <laughs> Skinny Dick, Padfoot, and Prongs. <laughs> That's yes, I'm cool. sorry. Yes, I got the chapter title incorrect. I really want you to tell me who you think the winner and loser of that chapter are. Wait, from. let me remember what happened. I mean, the winner is Lupin, because it's like his chapter, I think. Or maybe it's Dumbledore. Okay. Dumbledore is another possibility because he made customizations for mm-hmm. Lupin to come to Hogwarts. <clears throat> and the loser Snape. You are a little bit right. Okay. Okay, so there are three winners. Oh. One was already mentioned. Dumbledore kicked some ass, did some things to make a student comfortable at the school. I love that. you got to give him a win. But you also have to give a win to Sirius and James for working their asses off to become animagus, to be with animaguses, to be able to turn into fucking animals, to hang out with Lupin. Now, on that scale, I know that Pettigrew also did that, but he's a piece of shit. Oh, yeah, he's losing. And he loses because... (laughs) He, I forgot he even existed. He has well. Here's here's why he loses. He has the capability to do this great thing. He is around these people who are good to him and protect him, and he still turns out to be a piece of shit. So he loses. The end. That's right. I forgot. I just remembered <laughs> Snape was in here, and I know you love him. So <laughs> Snape and his dramatic entrance at the end of the chapter exactly. does not even get to have a title. Yeah, that's answer. right. Also, because <laughs> at this point the movie is like five miles ahead. Snape only popped in at the very, very end. Uh, that was bad on my part. I'm also like, my head is into this chapter. No, it's fine. I just wanted your opinion. So I wrote you a thing yes. about the, this chapter. Tara wrote me a very, very long thing. Okay. The tables have turned, motherfuckers. If it was double-spaced, then this would be like a full college term paper. I could write you a college term paper on this chapter. Please do. It's due in a week. <laughs> the Servant of Lord Voldemort. POA 19. That's Prisoner of Azkaban 19. After Snape's dramatic reveal, everyone reacts accordingly, as in nobody is pleased to see this asshole. Also, how dare you touch the invisibility cloak, you fuck. Even though he's terrible, Snape has logically and incorrectly deduced that Lupin has been helping Sirius, and he explains how he found them, and it threatens Sirius and Lupin with Azkaban. He ties up Lupin, and he and Sirius have a super tense stare down. Then he's rude as fuck to Hermione and starts to try to take everyone back to the castle. Except Harry gets in his way, pulling out the logic card regarding whether or not Lupin is dangerous. Then he calls Snape pathetic and he, Ron, and Hermione disarm him all at the same time knocking him out. Sirius unties Lupin while Hermione frets over attacking Snape. 
Finally, Lupin and Sirius start to explain what the fuck is up with that rat. That's a callback to a previous episode. It is. Get on our level. Basically, Sirius saw the photo in the Daily Prophet of the Weasleys in Egypt when Fudge was visiting Azkaban and recognized Scabbers sitting on Ron's shoulder. He knew it was actually Peter Pettigrew, and he knew that Peter was at Hogwarts where Harry was. He broke out of Azkaban as a dog and snuck onto Hogwarts grounds as a dog. Sirius explains to the kids and Lupin about how he convinced Lily and James to change to Peter as secret keeper when the Potters were in hiding. Since Sirius was the closest to the Potters, he expected Voldemort to know it was him. Except Peter had been working with Voldy, and on the night Harry's parents were killed, Peter set up Sirius to take the fall for the betrayal of Lily and James. He cut off his own finger, blew up a street, killing a dozen innocent muggles, and transformed into the rat that he is. The kids are still wary of this, and with Lupin picked through the holes in the logic of Peter's supposed actions, while Sirius continues to blame himself for that fucker's betrayal. Finally, Lupin gets Ron to give Scabbers to him, and together he and Sirius transform him back to Peter. Peter tries to play innocent, then starts whining about how Voldemort would have killed him after showing everybody in the room and reading that book about how truly disgusting, DISGUSTING he is. Lupin and Sirius are tired of this bullshit and have decided it's time to kill this fucker. Peter tries to talk a very traumatized Ron into sparing his life because he was a good pet fucking creep. Then he appeals to Hermione, then finally Harry, who in the end tells them not to kill him. They all get ready to go back to the castle. Things are looking like they're going to be okay after all. The end. I think I said something else in that. Did no. It? What do you want me to say? That I had something that I thought that I wrote at the end of that that I did not. What it did you want? Basically something about how we know that's not going to fucking happen. Okay. <laughs> well, we know that's not going to fucking happen. Very nice. All right. I tried. Well, that was... I tried to make that as short as I could. Yeah, there's a lot of shit that happens. And I left a lot of things out. This chapter is 20 pages long in the paperback. Oh, yeah. I got lucky in my chapters from last time, this time, and next time are already short. So yeah, That's okay. That's which okay. means you probably also got lucky because reading long things like that is not very fun. All right, let's get into it. Snape's a drama queen. Yep, Snape comes in and he's like, I'm in charge now, host. He went to take Lupin his potion. For some reason, why I thought it was, was Lupin was about to take his potion, and he just didn't because he saw Pettigrew on there and was like, oh shit, I gotta react. So he hadn't even received the potion no. yet. No, Snape had not brought the potion, and then Lupin's checking out the map, and he sees what's kind of going down and where all these peeps are. He leaves before Snape can bring him the potion. Yes. But he also leaves the map open on the desk. While this happens, obviously Snape mm -hmm. takes a look at the map. Partially, I almost wonder if Snape could have thought, oh, something happened. He's turning into a werewolf. He just needs to go to the shack just because. What's interesting about the whole thing about Snape looking at this map, we found this out in this book that at one point Sirius, when they were kids, had set Snape up to be attacked by Lupin as a werewolf and then James rescued him and that's why he hates him or whatever. Snape does not know that that's the Shrieking Shack. He doesn't know where that goes. He knows now, based on his experiences and what he learned and all of that, that Lupin turned into a werewolf and wherever he went to, he, that's where he changed into. But I don't necessarily know that he knows what that is or where that's located. And here he sees Lupin leaving. He's suspicious of Lupin. I follow his logic. There's no reason for Snape not to think what he's thinking about Lupin through this until he doesn't give anyone a chance to explain it to him. 
still still want to set it on fire. It's still stupid though. Like if he knows that Lupin is going there, right? In order to like save yourself, wouldn't you assume that he's going there so that he can transform? Yes, you would think, but that's also Snape's childhood grudge and him being an asshole and him also thinking that he's helping Sirius the glory of being able to catch these people at this thing that he thinks they're doing wrong. So to me, what I've always imagined is that Snape thinks I'm going to catch Lupin doing this. And he also doesn't think about the fact that Lupin's going to be turning into a werewolf tonight anymore either. Even though he made him the potion, he doesn't know Harry, Ron, and Hermione are there. So he gets there. Obviously, he knows they're there when he finds the fucking invisibility cloak and all of that. Also, he just suspects that Harry's always getting into trouble. This time around, I really wanted to focus on, like, why does Snape come to this conclusion? It kind of makes sense if you know what he knows. Option one is that he catches Lupin in the act. And should everything make sense, then he gets the glory, like you said. But on the flip side, you get murdered by a werewolf. So it's like glory versus death. Right. It makes me think of like later on with Pettigrew, the whole thing of glory versus being afraid of death. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's a clear like delineation there between what makes Pettigrew and Snape different. Snape goes there regardless of the possibility of facing death. I'm not saying necessarily that this is something that went through Snape's mind. I think Snape just acted out of just pure ambition. There is some like dialogue later about Pettigrew being afraid of death from what came out of him betraying the Potter. It's weird. I see a lot of problematic stuff with the way that Snape thought through all of this. So when I was saying that, I also want to make it clear that yes, it's 100% problematic because I think that he is fueled by this childhood grudge this is awful he comes and he's like throwing around insults and being like how about you take two to azkaban tonight his number one priority in this situation should be to protect these three children mm-hmm. i don't give a shit what else you know lupin's a werewolf you think Sirius black is a murderer you hate these fuckers anyway now he does tie up lupin wife says immediate response to not take care of that right away we know he's a smart powerful and experienced as a dark wizard he did not make those children his priority he made his glory the priority yeah that is disgusting so it's interesting because when we get to the movie like it's very different in the movie he doesn't exactly go that route what it is here too is again completely stepping outside of what he's able to do he instantly starts throwing around the expulsion threat Again, and we've already learned that he can't expel these three people. He doesn't have that in his power. So he's throwing that around. And then this other shit about, like, well, maybe we can have two people get the kiss of death. Yeah, and then he talks about the kiss. Like, that's not your responsibility either, Snape. Like, that's so far outside of what you're allowed to press forward on these people. That's the big thing that I get out of this, is that he is just, like, swinging it around. He really is. He's got to tell Hermione she's stupid. He's got to snap at Harry, because he's Harry. I really never noticed this before. Harry basically notices that he's gone too far. Harry's already proven that Snape is not bad, question mark. We got through the first book where they're like, Snape is bad. Now Snape doesn't like him, he doesn't like Snape. The idea of Snape trying to kill him is not really at the forefront of his mind. In this moment, Snape is being unreasonable and he recognizes it. At this point, he still doesn't know that he trusts Lupin anymore. You know, he knows he doesn't trust Sirius yet. Like, he's still in a place where had Snape not come in and thrown his fucking dick around, Harry could have been like, yeah, please take us back to safety. No wonder they fucking attacked him. Yeah. 
Well, it's even like in communication method too. Like you said, he interrupted the truth, but some of his jabs at Hermione, for example, don't this talk is coming about out of nowhere. Like yeah. he knows that she has a great track record. I'm sure that he knows about her time turner. So there's a lot of things that he's doing here that are stepping way out of line. I think yeah. that's my main thing with Snape. Agreed. I just get really excited once they attack him and he doesn't speak for the rest of the chapter. And honestly, it was a better outcome for him because if they hadn't done it, Sirius may have broken through and hurt him. Probably isn't strong enough based on, you know, whatever. He's a little emaciated. And but he's also kind of like a rabid dog at this point. Not to be like cute. Sirius is also quite unhinged here. Fucking scrappy In as this hell. case, obviously Snape has a wand. So even if like Sirius transformed into a dog, because I feel like that's his best bet, I still don't think Sirius has any chance. You know? No. So that's basically <laughs> Snape's role because he gets knocked out by the three kids. Do you have any sex jokes about Lupin being tied up? No, not that's particularly. Everyone's... So this is the first time I've ever noticed that as like a thing because I've never thought about the like the fan theories that everyone loved the idea of like. Lupin and Sirius being a thing, which I would ship now, like after this book, but remember that they were like 21 and then Sirius was in prison and Lupin was like living off of scraps and stuff. There's nowhere for that to go. I didn't even think about it. I was listening to something else, whatever, and people were talking about their ship of Lupin and Sirius and someone was like, yeah, I mean, Sirius didn't even get an opportunity to take advantage of Lupin being all tied up in the Shrieking Shack. And I remember going, really inappropriate time for that, guys. I don't know why if it's just, I realize that like there's other priorities happening now and it's a little That's why doing it this one chapter at a time is the only reason why I was like, where's Adam on that theory? I, it didn't even come to my mind. make jokes about that? Because I feel like this is just not a good time, guys. And, no, bondage isn't something that comes to my mind right? very often. Yeah. So. <laughs> But like enough with Snape, like some of the other characters to characterization that's going on in the scene too. After Snape is knocked out, then it kind of gets back more into like focus on scabbers. Yes. Finally, because like how long has Ron been sitting here like holding on to this struggling rat with his leg broken? Right. Poor kid. Poor Ron. And like at the same time, like what's funny to me, finally we get a little bit more of the revelation of Crookshanks and Crookshanks really knowing everything and what Crookshanks's role in all of this has been. And Crookshanks is just chilling on the bed, purring when the rat is like right there in reach. Like it really shows like how intelligent Crookshanks is. Like he knows that something is about to happen here, finally. I love Crookshanks being there. We'll talk about it when we get to the movie. I think it's such a disservice to Crookshanks that he's not in the movie at all here. This whole sequence about Crookshanks and Sirius being able to communicate, obviously there's no real exploration as to how they communicate as animals. We just understand that they can. They can understand more than I know you're a human, not a dog. They were doing planning. Yeah, they fucking planned this, which is brilliant. The explanation as to why Scabbers has lived so long. You get to see Lupin slowly understand what Sirius is explaining because Sirius was there. Lupin is such an outsider to this. Like, he's in such a weird situation. Lupin has been free all these years. And he spent 12 years thinking his best friend was a murderer and responsible for the death of his other two best friends. Lupin is also learning with the children. I started making a list of the children logic in this chapter and the first child logic other than Harry to Snape. Being like, we've been alone together. Lupin could have killed me a dozen times. But Ron does the first one. He's like, so there are like millions of rats out there. How do you know it's this one? And it like springboards the explanation of Sirius seeing 
the photo and the Daily Prophet and, and all that explanation. Well, it's, it's so interesting because sorry. when he said that, it made me think, like, would Lupin have noticed it? I mean, Lupin isn't scrutinizing the Daily Prophet. He has more things to do. But yeah, it is a really interesting thing that then explains, oh, he's at Hogwarts in his sleep. He was there the night Pettigrew tracked him down and they had the standoff and that's how... So he has more context. So, and yeah. he has information where Lupin is still in the dark on this. Lupin has no reason to believe that Pettigrew is still alive. Mm -hmm. Well, there are so <laughs> many like little bits and pieces and evidence that kind of come to a culmination here. Like things that we really haven't talked too much about like that. I mean, that little newspaper clipping at the very beginning doesn't come up again until now. The other thing that really like pushes things forward is the missing finger and how Scabbers is missing the toe and how everything was backwards. There are several moments here that I think are a little bit strange. Obviously, all these evidence pieces fit perfectly into Pettigrew being the one who did it. I feel like nobody is like buying it where everything is like stacking up more and more. Even after they transform Scabbers back into Pettigrew, mm -hmm. it's almost like, isn't that evidence enough? Sirius says something along the lines of, don't you see it was backwards, he's the one who did it. And then that's when Harry even like snaps back into reality, as it says. And it makes me wonder like, okay, he kind of does have that signal of he's the one who betrayed my parents that maybe like switches him back to Sirius. But you have all of this evidence now. Like why now are you still not convinced when they revealed that this rat that's been with Ron this entire time is a human? You know what I mean? Right. I think that they do a really good job of getting the reasoning out of that. One, Harry has just been thrown around too much already. And why should he believe anyone at this point? I kind of understand it. But he does let them get really far with the explanation where it's very clear he doesn't trust them but he's so desperate for understanding which is also a really shitty place to be and peter's really doing a pretty strong job of trying to relay it back at sirius it's these kids again being like there's the logic you know harry being like so why didn't peter kill me before yeah. mm -hmm. and so that's a really good argument against sirius and lupin being correct again Sirius, like he doesn't do shit unless he can do stuff for himself and then he's like so pathetic Peter yeah. is. This is one point that I have for Sirius, too, is, like, he comes back right at it. Like, there's no stuttering or being like, wait, let me think about this. He's, like, prepared for it. Part of me is, like, if he was on his way here to prove his innocence, like, he would have thought through all of these facts. If he was bluffing this entire time and he was lying and somehow trying to frame Pettigrew and looking at it almost as an opportunity, I don't think he would have been quite as well prepared. Agreed. Pettigrew kind of tits the bet on it too because he goes too far on that. He's like, well, I knew Sirius would get out to kill me. And then that's when Lupin is like, Wait, how did you know? You know, Lupin is also, again, still looking for the answers. And he's like, how would you know that Sirius is going to get out of Azkaban? No one's ever broken out of Azkaban. And that's when he starts being like, the Dark Lord taught him all these secrets and stuff. Peter just keeps digging his hole. Right. You know, Lupin says this great line. He's like, I can't imagine that an innocent man would want to live his life as a rat or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's another big and one. And that's a big one. And I think that that's a thing that maybe makes the kids kind of think a little more too. It's funny because some of those bits of evidence that are thrown against Peter once he's a human are exactly the same pieces of evidence used for him when he's a rat. Like, oh, this rat has been in my life the entire time. 
Yeah, for 12 fucking years. So it's funny how Ron is constantly, like, protecting Scabbers over and over. It's like, dude, this is a rat that you already lost, and you got over it, and then you got it back, and it bit you, and you're still trying to, like, protect it when there's so much at stake. I mean, Ron is in a state right now, so it is what it is. But then once he turns into a human, then they're kind of still like, wait a minute, how could this be the guy who revealed Lillian James? Which is so funny, because during this entire scene, like, Ron is kind of, like, quiet, and I feel like it is almost in shock because he's finally the one who reveals the elephant in the room that, like, you were with me for 12 fucking years, you creepy. That is traumatizing. That is terrifying. This poor child. This is such an overwhelming thing for all of them. Not to, like, diminish what Harry's going through. It's really hard to d- decide who is probably more overwhelmed by this, Harry or Ron, because Ron has lived in this kind of world that he understands in this little box of his nice little wizarding life. And this is a huge shock where Harry's life's always been a fucking mess. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's a good point. Like, I was going to actually say, uh, like, what Harry has is more at stake. At the same time, like, it's perspective. Harry's life has been a mess. Whereas Ron has just accepted this, and this is a huge bomb that, oh my god, this grown man has been in my bed with me the last it's, 12 years. It's really very disconcerting. Yeah. And, oh. Something else that I have written down is just Peter's diversion tactics and lack of poker face. Oh, you already kind of touched on it. He's, he's just He just digs a hole. Like, he doesn't know how to get himself out of that. I think if it were flipped, I think if Sirius had been the bad guy, Sirius would have been able to talk his way out of it. I think so, if it's the same characters. Yes. Because you can already tell from both of them, after really just meeting them in the last three chapters for Sirius, you can tell that Sirius even has more of a spine, or at least a brain. I mean, the spine leads to the brain. But, like, you can really tell, like, the capacity that both of them have just from this small bit here. Peter isn't entirely stupid because he really, really set up Sirius real bad. But it also just shows how cowardly he is because he was afraid of Voldemort, which is something that Sirius keeps saying about when he was in Azkaban and what he was hearing from people. I find it fascinating that people keep like circling around this idea of the only way you can get out of Azkaban is with dark magic. And here it's literally knowledge of your innocence What I love about the whole thing about Sirius being able to break out of Azkaban is all the good things about Sirius got him out of Azkaban. Sirius learned how to be an animagus to help his friend because he's a good friend. He would have died for James and Lily. But also, like, as soon as he knows where Peter is and he knows he's at Hogwarts with Harry, that is when he leaves Azkaban. That's when he breaks out. Now, Harry is at stake. It's really one of my favorite things about Sirius is this understanding of how he got out of Azkaban and how sad and beautiful it is. There's almost a reverse psychology towards the Dementors, if you think about it. He talks about how, okay, it wasn't a happy memory, so they couldn't steal it from him. Like, yeah. The fact that he was innocent was comfort, but it was <clears throat> like, well, I'm in here, but I'm innocent. Of course, you know, the fact that he's a dog and... They can't feel his emotions the same way, or they could at least see that his thoughts weren't at the same level of a human, almost, in the dog form. The other big thing in here is the fact that he was innocent being, like, what helped him through that experience. And in past episodes, I talked about how it makes me think of Hagrid from the last 
book where he was innocent too. And I talked a little bit about, you know, Hagrid maybe isn't at the same level as Sirius in that Sirius is, might be a little bit more sound in his emotions. I think Hagrid tends to be a little bit over-emotional. Isn't a bad thing or anything, but it makes me wonder like if Hagrid was in the same mindset. It's neither here nor there because that wasn't like the actual key for Sirius escaping because I mean Hagrid can't transform into a dog and he is thick with two C's so he ain't gonna fit through those bars. It makes me wonder if that made Hagrid's life in Azkaban any more easy. I mean he wasn't there for very long. I think you really just hit the nail on the head of just how different they are. Yeah. You know emotionally. Hagrid went to Azkaban at 60. Sirius went to Azkaban at like 21. Right. You know and just where everything is in that point of your life. He might be 60 but he still is very childlike. We well yes. He's our Thing. Lovely Hagrid. It's not like integral to the plot or anything because Hagrid couldn't have done anything about it, but it's just something that I want to bring back up because now we actually know the truth behind what your thoughts are in Azkaban if you're innocent. Right. If you're thinking of it that way, I guess. I'm trying to explain it without saying the word mindfulness, but there we go. I just he said, said it. This chapter is more of a reminder of just how strong love between friends is. And the difference between Sirius and Peter, Sirius was like, Voldemort's going to come after me because I'm the closest to James and Lily. Mm -hmm. So we'll change it to Peter because he won't suspect Peter. He doesn't know Peter's bad when they're 20-ish years old. His choice to do that was to protect James and Lily not to be a hero. You know what I'm saying? And then Peter is like, he would kill me. You guys don't understand. I just love when we get the callback to the friendship of the Marauders because it's so well reflected on our trio. I get mad every time I read this, just like how cowardly this man is. Yeah. And then obviously this whole series is about the sacrifices these three kids make for each other and they're younger than that yeah i mean the one thing that we always talk about are weighing out all of the different qualities of the houses and i mean this is the one big point where you can see not all gryffindors are good just like how ike compared snape and pettigrew before comparing sirius and pettigrew is also very interesting and then when you compare lupin to him and i mean we could have a whole different conversation perhaps about how the four marauders all represent a different house i almost would put lupin and ravenclaw and then i don't really know james i don't feel like james is a hufflepuff but i don't know james is that, probably the gryffindor peter would be the hufflepuff peter Peter is the Pufflepuff, yeah. Maybe Sirius is more Slytherin-ish. I mean, everyone else in this family was in Slytherin, but obviously that doesn't matter. Yeah. This is know. a whole different rabbit hole. Someone out there needs to do a like full character study of the Marauders. Lastly, I just mention how strong these children are. Hermione is so quiet and so calm and she's taking in everything. She's so polite. I love how she calls Sirius Mr. Black. Yeah, I that was really sweet. funny. In this moment where, you know, I was talking so much about what Harry's reactions are and what Ron's reactions are and, and how they must be feeling, I don't want to lose sight of Hermione and Crookshanks are this calming presence in the room. Because everyone is, like, in a different place. Uh, Crookshanks is definitely a calming Crookshanks, I mean, he's a cat, so he can't he's do anything. Just he's just purring. He's like, I he's know there's great. drama, but I'm good. Hermione is a person who, who really still has something at stake. Like, 
she just discovered that this professor who she's been I trust him even though I know he's a werewolf because I've seen him only be good like she's just been betrayed by that thought she just attacked a teacher Sirius Black is a convicted felon now there's this random creepy ass man who appeared and she's still this calming presence then in contrast Harry telling Lupin and Sirius don't kill him my dad wouldn't have wanted this is so much of another reminder that Harry is Lily's child not that now I'm gonna say this in bold James would not have wanted them to kill him either I don't think these two are not in the uh, same kind of place as Harry is you know I wonder if Lupin feels any guilt about it too because he really is the only one left okay two of his friends are dead I wonder if he thinks oh that could have been me but also his recognition of his status yeah in the wizarding world he mm. didn't have that ability to step in and say Dumbledore what can I do to help this child because honestly he's the closest thing Harry has left to family if you are taking Sirius out of the picture yeah I like the reasoning of like hey you can't kill him because he's the reason why we can show that Sirius is innocent more but for storytelling also, purposes right so the last thing there is a typo on page 372 <laughs> I really wish it was 394. <laughs> like, we were so close. At the beginning, it says, in my version, which is the hard cover, Harry remembered that Mr. Weasley had told Mrs. Wheelsy. <gasps> Mine says Weasley. Mine says Wheelsy. Who's Mrs. Wheelsy? I don't know. Ooh. Email us and discuss. Who's <laughs> Mrs. Wheelsy? All right, so when we were watching the movie, I was like, oh my god, I have a new idea for Fuck, Mary Kill, but I forgot what it is, so we're going with my original one. Okay. Fuck, Mary Kill. We've been talking about clues this entire book. So here's three clues that led up to revealing who Pettigrew is. Or who Scabbers is. And he, that he's skinny dick. One of them is the Daily Prophet article. One of them is the missing toe. And one is the name on the Marauder's map. Okay. I'm gonna marry the name on the Marauder's map. Okay. Me too. Because I like it the most. I'm gonna fuck the Daily Prophet photo. Me too. I'm gonna kill that missing toe. I know, I don't wanna fuck or marry a toe. Right? No thanks. That's gross. <laughs> Who wants to marry a toe? <laughs> that's nasty. But also, like, the Daily Prophet article is the missing piece that I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. So I'm gonna fuck that article. Right? It's pretty nice. It's a nice article. And it's a nice photo of the Weasleys or. And Skinny Dick. Or and Skinny Dick or Mrs. Wheelsy. Wheelsy. Mrs. Wheelsy and Skinny Dick. So the number one thing that I'm interested in, and Tara mentioned this, so I'm going to steal it from her, is the Shrieking Shack is a little bit fancy for this werewolf boy to go into. Yes. At first I was like, you're right. And then I was like, girl, you're right. Why is there a piano in there? And a chandelier. And a four-poster fucking bed. What does a werewolf need with a chandelier? Oh, you're right. What does he need with that wall-length mirror? But then we realized that they don't explain that that's where Lupin went yes. as a child. So, so the movie, the movie the fancy shack is just a fancy-ass fucking shack. Yeah. Well, it's not a shack because it's got all these <laughs> extravagant things but in it. But they call it the Shrieking Shack still. A shack to me is like a little tiny baby building. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. Like, remember when you did MASH when you were a kid? It was mansion, oh, yeah. apartment, shack, and house? Yeah. This is more of a house. 
Right. With fancy chandeliers. But Haunted House doesn't have the same ring to it as Shrinking Shack. Shrinking Shack, right? But yeah, I think that there is a lot of different things in this movie and the differences in the book that come to light here. Like, for example, another thing that I thought of, other than that, because they don't mention it at all in the movie, of course. This really is something I maybe should have said in one of the last episodes. How in the movie, Harry was like, oh, I saw Peter Pettigrew on that map. Maybe that's why there isn't as much information about Peter Pettigrew. Because, I mean, there's still things that are left out here that are really important about, like, the switcheroo. It still isn't very clear in the movie that that's kind of what No, happens. the scene is literally them just being like, you sold Lillian James and Voldemort, didn't you? And he's like, well, you would have killed me. Like, they cut so much of that out. They also take more time with the Snape stuff than they need to. Since we're establishing we're not going to follow any of the dialogue or any of that, so they cut out all of Snape being an asshole to Hermione yeah. and Harry, I'm really glad that I actually mentioned that fanship about Lupin and Sirius because Snape is talking about it and he was like, oh, you guys are farting like an old married couple. So they took the time to do that, but they didn't take the time conjure like the vines or whatever yeah to do any of that and to really like hash back at his grudge against harry and his dad Mm -hmm. if we're truncating that like shouldn't that be the focus i don't know i do actually really like the scene where harry like reaches behind hermione's back and steals the wand and knocks him out on his own and then hermione is even more shocked like oh my god you're her teacher (laughs) so it's not the three of them i prefer that it's the three of them because i love that they have that but i do really like the visual of harry being like I gotta fucking know the truth. Yeah. I know we're not getting much because it's a movie, so we're getting three seconds of explanation, but I'm gonna knock this guy out anyway. So I can get that truth. They use a lot of different elements to, like, create suspense. I think that is why they take a little bit more time on some of those things, like this Snape scene, for example. Yeah. Snape is not as dramatic in the movie. No. But... Lupin and Sirius are, and I truly think the reason now seeing that contrast is so that they can create the suspense of like, oh my god, these guys are bad, and then oh my god, now we know the truth and Snape is here and we're gonna like use this as another moment to stretch things out in a weird way. I agree with that. I think that's why, because of their characters, like the book makes so much more sense. Like you want Snape to be more dramatic than these guys who are being inauthentic in that moment in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. And there's this back and forth between Sirius and Snape. Anyway, mm. Sirius being like, you better run it along and play with your chemistry set. Just like yeah. all the shit between the two of like, them. He like, gives more so lit. It's more between Sirius and Snape, too. Like, yes. Other than that one moment about them being in the old married couple, yeah. there is no interaction almost with Lupin and almost nothing to the kids at all. No. It isn't until, and this is in the next chapter, obviously, when Snape comes to, which is also not in the book, yeah. where he kind of goes after and he's like, there you are. But yeah. even then, Snape goes to protect them. So it feels like Snape is more protective in the movie, yeah. which is interesting. I don't know if yeah. I like it or dislike it. It's strangely more in character for Snape as being someone that you know is a good guy and like sets it up more interesting in the movie for later when other things happen that are big spoilers that I'm not going to say right now. Yeah. So I will say Harry is way more in control than he should be in the movie. Yeah, I think so too. Um, He's a little bit more streamlined. He doesn't have that moment where he like snaps out of it and is like, oh, you are the bad guy, serious. Right. Yeah. This isn't like a criticism of the choice in the movie or the acting or anything like that. 
I think that that's just kind of how it has to be because it's so truncated. But I also appreciate that it, it does kind of represent the fact that Harry is surprisingly patient in the book. He wants to know. He's not like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for someone to tell me. But I find him in general to be more collected yeah. than expected in the movie. But I really appreciate it. He also, though, was like wielding his wand. He's like, all right, now you fucking tell me the truth. You do this. And then he's actually the one that says, show me that Pettigrew is the rat. Yeah. Not that they're like finally getting to the point where we're revealing yeah, it. Yeah, it does kind of get uh, to that point a little bit quicker because in the movie they do take quite a long time to get to that point. And I kind of touched on it, on it in my book thing, but I'm still surprised that like even after it happened, they're like, oh, but Sirius is still a bad guy maybe. Right. Like, I'm assuming that forcing him to be like transformed back into a man while Ron is holding on to him would probably be bad news for Ron. You know, maybe that would hurt him. I don't know. Like, because they're like, give him to me. And then, you know, but the then movie, they, like, they have him, him like, go, chase him. And he like, yeah, he runs across the piano and then he goes into well, that little rat hole. They have to show how fancy the shack is. Yeah, I guess this so. This fancy piano is hey, a great guys, piano. Lupin, Lupin was a great pianist as a child, but <laughs> only when he was a werewolf. <laughs> And then the other big thing here, of course, is Pettigrew looks nasty as fuck. Oh my god. The actor who plays him, I think it's Timothy Spall, I think is his name. Mm. He's a great actor. He really plays the role so well. Isn't both he and Man, Alan Rickman? Are you thinking of Sweeney Todd? <laughs> yes. How they play, like, horrible people in Sweeney Todd? Yeah. Yes, they do. I think that's so entertaining. <laughs> it is. I've seen, like, three movies with Timothy Spall in them, other than the Harry Potter movies. And I think he was a shitty person in all of them, except for, I saw this, not just very, like Filch. Right. He just always plays shit. But I did watch this one movie with Amalda Staunton in it, and they fall in love, and they're both lovely people. Oh my god. Have you talked about this? This feels very deja vu to I me. may have. I don't know. I forget what it's called. I watched it on a flight once. It was super cute. Yeah. And I don't really like romantic comedies. It's not really my thing. I really like romance at all. The two of them together in a romantic comedy sounds funny to me. It was so good. It was The movie itself was just okay, yeah. but the two of them were lovely. I think that he was the perfect actor for this because he's really good. And I'm sure he's probably a lovely person. Well, it's funny. We always say that about like Amelda Stone because we know that she is. Like, yeah, she's I love wonderful. the B-roll of her being like really fun and stuff in the costume of Umbridge and stuff. Yeah. So when we get to that point, because we're going to have words about Umbridge, okay. but I always want to be like, oh, but and she's so great because so, acting yeah yeah exactly but in this case it's interesting for it to be another like terrible horrible character right. and like to be talking about that when he goes up to harry if i were here i'd be like don't you fucking tell right he's, he's just like, like get off me your breast smells like dicks i don't want to <laughs> know what's under your fucking fingernails right. you very nasty and even like in future scenes when he's like cleaned up a little bit he looks the same yeah. unlike Sirius, who like you can tell at least like took a shower you know right and he did his beautiful hair they do quite a good job of making him very rat like and it says in the book you know he even seems very rat like he's a little bit of a chunk but at the same time so that's different from the book because i feel like in the book it's like oh he's supposed to be like skinny little boy i mean i don't mind it i think that he is like perfect for I that think particular role he's described as someone who looked like they lost a lot of weight in a very short amount of time so that doesn't necessarily mean to me in any of my like thought processes that that person is very thin but it would just show the change of their body like if they're a person who was a bigger person mm -hmm. 
and they've lost a lot of weight in a short amount of time and they haven't had a chance to like tone it because they're a fucking yeah. rat they might still be well, no, a bigger person i'm more thinking of like all of the descriptions of Pettigrew throughout oh, yeah. the book like he's always like oh this little wisp of a boy or then that yeah. would be the right word but yeah okay yeah i, don't no, know. I follow that i'm like splitting hairs i mean all in all who cares because he's great in the role yeah and when we look at like this chapter in comparison to other chapters I mean, it does better than the last couple, which, like, leave out so much. And we're getting to that point where, okay, we're back to closer to the book. I mean, it's not perfect. It's like, I don't know, a B minus, maybe a C plus. Yeah, I would put it in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, would you like to know who I'm giving points to? See, now I'm asking no. my questions. I don't want to know, but How you're going to do it, it anyway. All right. Well, the <laughs> first person to get points... Well, everybody in this chapter gets the same amount of points. Not everybody. Some people are losing points. But 10 points to Ron, Harry, Hermione, Lupin, and Sirius. They all got good moments. That's all. Negative 20 to Snape for stepping out of his responsibilities and assuming things incorrectly. And negative 100 to Peter Pettigrew because he nasty. Accurate. Yep. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss. The Dementor's Kiss. That's right. We're getting to the end of this. We really are. And it was funny because we have, like, just a handful of chapters left. Like, three, I think. No, we have two. Well, after the next chapter, we have two. Yeah. So we have three chapters left, but we were watching the movie and we're like, there's still lots of scenes left. But there's so much that's going to happen because that's how this book goes. Yeah, it's, it's like fucking a crazy. huge part is in chapter 21, of course. So the next time Tara gets to do a thing for me, it's going to be another dissertation. That's right. That's right. That's right. So that's right. Are we going to just keep saying that's right no. and then taper this off? I was going to close that out with the thing with Katie. Oh, yeah. yeah. To close out today, you may have seen a couple weeks ago, I shared on our Facebook page this song by my former student, uh, Katie. She was a speech student of mine many, many years ago, and her family and I are pretty close. She just released her EP, uh, Progress Pride, and it's under Katherine Haas. And she's on like Amazon and Spotify and hopefully everywhere because everyone needs to hear it. Anyway, Adam and I, we've already spoken out about our support of the trans community in the wake of, of J.K. Rowling's hurtful tweets and everything that she's said. We don't presume to understand what you're feeling or what you're going through, but we do want you to know that we love you and we support you. This was my friend Katie's song that she wrote in response. Hermione Granger's not a transphobe. Please check it out. It's about taking Hogwarts back. It's ours and we are magic. Check her out. Enjoy and we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Hermione Granger's not a transphobe Because she's felt the stinging hurt Of slurs cast against her on the Quidditch pitch Biology determining her worth mm -hmm. McGonagall is not a transphobe I mean, she's kind of trans Why'd you make her the transfiguration teacher Who can turn into a cat If you don't like that that people can change
Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch you later, snitches!